Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, and welcome to From Queer to Eternity, a podcast exploring what it means to us to be queer. My name's Scott Hancock, and every episode I'll be chatting to a different guest from the LGBTQ community, talking about their lives, experiences, and what queerness means to them, and hopefully discovering just how much we all have in common. Due to the nature of these conversations, certain themes, phrases, or experiences discussed may be upsetting for some of our listeners, but generally we're here to celebrate queerness in all its forms and have a good time sharing our stories. This episode, I'll be chatting with... Samuel Barnett. Sammy Samuel Barnett, hello. Hello. Welcome to From Queer to Eternity. I love that title. (laughs) Very good work. Thank you for chatting. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're sounding very relaxed, given we've never met each other before. We've never met each other. We don't know each other at all, do we, Scott? Who are you? Uh, Who knows? We've worked together. We're not friends. No. I'm going to kick off with a question I've been asking everybody on these, which is, what does the word queer mean to you? Well, I... I'm very glad that these days that word is being reclaimed mm. because in I think in my day, back in the day, in my generation sort of 80s, 90s, it was such a slur. And I actually really struggled with it being even reclaimed in a good way when I, uh, in the past few years really, I've I've heard people referring to themselves as queer and the queer community. And I used to just have a kind of involuntary sort of bristle against it because of my experience with that word when I was younger. I was quite lucky that I didn't get hugely bullied about my sexuality. But the word queer, you you know, there was a point at which um, I feel like this was in the noughties, that the word gay was used. Oh, people would go, oh, you're so gay and stuff like that. Yeah, that's so gay. That's so gay. You're so gay. But before that, it was queer. And so I'm really happy these days that it's been reclaimed as a positive and empowered word. And how would you define yourself? Well, I guess just out of habit, I'd define myself as gay. Hmm. But again, I feel like that's just because of the generation that I'm from. And I'd also very happily not define myself at all. And that's not because I'm, you know, somewhere on that sort of spectrum of sexuality. You know, I've only ever been into guys. But I guess I've always struggled with labels and the need for definition like that. But for shorthand sake... Sorry, it's such a long answer to such a <laughs> simple question. You'll find that with me, Scott, that I will say a million things when I could say one. The short answer is, for shorthand, I'd describe myself as gay. I love how long it took you to explain shorthand there yep. as well. Yep, you're welcome. <laughs> and obviously you've got a bit of a northern lilt. Yeah. Let's set the scene. What was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? 
So I was born in Whitby in North Yorkshire and um, I was raised there, well, sort of in villages near Whitby and then in Whitby itself for the first 18 years of my life. It was in many ways a really, really brilliant place to grow up. Like you've got the moors on one side and beaches in the sea on the other. It's quite it's quite cut off in a way, but it's very, oh, I found it like quite a sort of romantic and spooky place. And I, I think I, I think I really enjoyed growing up there. There were downsides, as I think there are anywhere, really. One of them being that sometimes it, it felt like it was a bit maybe behind the times just in its outlook, especially, especially when it came to things like sexuality. But generally, it was a really quite safe and sheltered place to grow up. And I spent a lot of my time just playing out in the fields, in the countryside, or on the beach, or riding my bike around. That aspect of it was a, was a happy childhood. And when did you first realise you were into guys? Well, I think when I was eight or nine years old, hmm. I knew, but I didn't really have, I didn't have a name for it. I didn't know it was gay. I didn't know what homosexuality was. I didn't know about sexuality at all at that age. And there was no one to speak to about that. Uh, Section 28 was still in place in schools, so it wasn't talked about. It's that thing, isn't it, that you grow in consciousness and awareness as you get older but as a child your brain development is where it's at and it was it was an extremely extraordinarily confusing time for me um from sort of nine years old onwards that's when my I guess I I woke up sexually in a way I I started having these sexual feelings but even before then I remember having what I can only describe as like just really warm feelings inside Hmm. around um, certain guys. That's so sort of that's, minor yeah. crushes. It's or... difficult to call them crushes because there was nothing, there was no sense. Of, I had crushes on girls, hmm. if, if we're going to call them crushes, you know, because they were all feeling-based. There was nothing um, sexual about it at all. But I, but I noticed that I, I, I mean, I absolutely loved being around girls. They, they were just my favourite people. I was scared of boys growing up I was so comfortable with girls but every now and then there would be a boy that I just had these just these really warm feelings around but it was when I sort of started to wake up sexually and realize that any thinking that I had any kind of fantasy that I had was around guys and that was really uncomfortable because I assumed that because it's what I saw around me I 100% assumed I would grow up to have a wife and children. And even when I first started realising that there was something different about me and that there, was, there wasn't that attraction to women and there was to men, I still thought that eventually I would have a wife and children, that I would be with a woman and I would have a family. And I think I was really, I really struggled and was heartbroken and disappointed that when, when it hit me at about the age of 13, maybe a bit younger, that that was never going to happen for me, that I simply would not be able to do that. And I was devastated because I wanted to be, quote unquote, normal. I wanted to fit in. 
I've realised now, looking back, that this was all my own internalised homophobia Mm. that I was dealing with. But I didn't have that term back then. So I just felt ashamed. Deeply, deeply ashamed for being different. Did you expect it to be a phase? Did you did you try and feign straight relationships? I tried for about a minute. Right. I mean, <laughs> I I had oh she, she's lovely. We're still in touch, and I I had um a girlfriend for like two years from the age of eleven to thirteen. But I mean, talk about taking it slow. <laughs> uh, she <laughs> after two years when she hinted at the suggestion of maybe us kissing, Mm. I dumped her. (laughs) I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I I, I guess something I am grateful for, despite all the shame I felt, is that in a way, I guess I've always known myself and I've never really been able to go against my own internal compass Mm. in that way. I just knew I couldn't pretend that far. But it was, um, it was a painful time. Because actually, I talk about internal homophobia and I talk about that giving me shame. But I think, and I've no idea where this came from, but I think my sense of sort of disappointment at my sexuality and stuff was, was only one part of, of feeling ashamed about myself. I think I generally just felt ashamed of myself. I didn't like myself and I felt a lot of shame. And I think my sexuality was only part of that. So it was like, I was, I think way before I realised that I was gay, I already didn't like myself. Mm. So to add something that was other, that was different, that was going to make my life harder, that was possibly going to be the target of bullying and difficulty, to add that on top of already not liking myself, it turned into a very painful time. I was, I was very lost around it all. But I couldn't pretend. I just couldn't pretend to be straight. I couldn't do it. So you say at around 13, you knew and, and dumped this poor lady very yeah. early on. Yeah. What was school like for you? I got really lucky. I got so lucky with my friendship group. Mm. They kept me going. And I mean, I don't know that I've talked about this much. But I absolutely had suicidal ideation mm. and I had that on and off through my teens and into my 20s. And I was so fortunate with the group of friends that I had. We were all basically, we were all drama people. Uh, the school that I went to didn't do a GCSE drama course and around the country other schools were starting to do it. And so we kind of had a little campaign to make them do it. We all said, if you know, if you don't do the drama course here, we'll go to a different college in a different town. And so they brought in this GCSE drama course. And from that, both in my year and the year below me, I found this group of friends who I just loved and I felt they loved me. And I'd already had my, my best friend, Claire, from the age of six, who was always just amazing and always supportive and accepting of me. I had her and I had um, a couple of other really close friends in my early teens when this sexuality stuff was really starting to come up. But then that grew into this much bigger group of friends. So by the time I was 14, 15, 16, I started getting this group of friends that there was about 15, 20 of us sometimes. And we hung out whenever we could and <laughs> we drank together and we smoked together. And 
we did drama and we were proper intense teenagers and it was great and I was deeply lost and unhappy and I was sort of held by this amazing group of friends. So I got really lucky that I had those friends and that I didn't get too bullied. Mm. I remember I had a list of people who knew and it started off very small and it grew to about 30 people who knew who I had personally told mm. about my sexuality <laughs> and that included um you know some family but mostly these friends and I thought I was in control that's so naive <laughs> I thought I was in control about this information but I think what it was was that I trusted I trusted those people that I told and I trusted that anyone that they told would also be people that they trusted mm. so I think it became like this open secret at school the other thing is that I did do I was in school plays and school musicals and uh, not you know not to blow my own trumpet but I, I think I I mean I wasn't any good but I was probably okay I could make people laugh I could carry a tune I could act-ish and I think in another way that sort of protected me because I think people saw me in those school musicals and were like oh he's quite he's all right he seems quite good I got good feedback from it mm. and I was somehow left alone and I honestly don't know how I got away with it because I couldn't hide my sexuality. I was quite a camp little boy. I couldn't hide that side of me. I even had w one of the guys who I would have considered to be one of the school bullies. He was like six foot at the age of 14 and rugby player, absolutely massive. Of course I had a crush on him. But he was known as a bit of a troublemaker and a real hard guy. And he came up to me once in the library and I thought, oh my God, that's it, my life's over. And he said, if anyone ever gives you trouble, let me know. And I have no idea why he did that. Mm. I've no idea if a teacher had spoken to him or if some, I've no idea. And I sometimes think, did I make that up? But I didn't, that, that did happen. And somehow I was protected and I've heard of horrendous, horrendous bullying stories simply because of someone's sexuality. And I was lucky enough, I think at one point I got called Puffter Ballet Breath because I used to do ballet. So Ballet Breath was the best one person could come up with. Um, and um, <laughs> Such and, originality. You know, such originality. And in fact, I have to say, actually, it's so funny about that word queer, going back to that. It wasn't, um, I didn't really get called queer that much. I knew that queer was a slur in the wider society, but Puffter was the one that really got me. Mm. That was thrown at me sometimes and that really hurt just to feel humiliated and singled out in that way but I'm hugely grateful that it wasn't worse which is a ridiculous thing to say isn't it like to be grateful that it wasn't worse than it could have been but you know that's how I felt. So in terms of your coming out it feels like you were quite relaxed about it and and in, at least in terms no. of yourself and who you, oh okay <laughs> no. i was going to say cuz no. it always feels was, quite apprehensive but i was hugely uptight hence that list where i felt like i was in control of who knew did you keep a physical list yes right. i wrote it down and i added a name to it every time i told someone which is why i think now it's so naive to think that those people didn't tell anyone because with the best will in the world people don't keep secrets very well. And I think I 
was extremely anxious about it coming out but I do think it was an open secret and I think for the most part maybe because of the example of the way other people were around me I was left alone but no it was the biggest source of anxiety to me my sexuality probably the big it was not probably it was the biggest source of anxiety through my early teens and what compelled you to to feel you had to come out I just couldn't pretend I couldn't keep it a secret. And also, I didn't see it as coming out because in my head, coming out was like you made some sort of grand announcement or put it in the school newspaper. Mm. I, can't, I don't know if we had a school newspaper, but that was my, the idea in my head. Whereas what I was doing was telling individuals on an individual basis over a couple of years, really, that this was happening to me. And I've always been that way. I have a very low tolerance threshold for pain and discomfort. I have to do something about it. So I have always, always been searching to feel better. Mm. And for me at that age, part of it was that I just couldn't pretend, you know, with the people that I was spending my time with. I think, I always get confused, but I think actually the first person that I told was the first person that I ever had a cigarette with. And uh, that was Joanne Frogger who I grew up with in, in Whitby. And um, we were really good friends, really, really close. We still are. And um, I think she was the very first person that I sort of officially told. Top of your list. Well, no, it's, it's not, it doesn't surprise me because we were really close. But, um, but, I, but my sort of best, best friend was, was my friend Claire, Claire Metcalf, Claire Bottomley, as she is now. And, um, and so I look back and I think, well, why, why didn't I tell her first? But maybe she already knew. I can't remember. But I do remember telling Joanne. But I think that's because <laughs> it might be associated with the fact that I also had my first cigarette with her and I maybe told her at the same time as having that cigarette. <laughs> and I think that's true. I'm not sure which was bigger to me, Scott, coming out to Joanne or having my first cigarette. I think they're on, they're, they're on equal footing, those two. I remember feeling very sick from the cigarette and I remember feeling very relieved about telling Joanne Mm. but it was like I remember the feeling and I'd forgotten the feeling I was talking to someone the other day and they reminded me of this feeling coming out was like jumping off a cliff Mm. it it was so scary to me I sometimes physically couldn't get the words out I would sit there for ages and say there's something I need to tell you and they'd be like what what is it and are you okay and I'd be like yeah but there's, there's something I need to, to tell you and I couldn't it's like the words got caught in my throat because it was like once it was out you couldn't put it you couldn't put that genie back in the bottle yeah. you couldn't take those words back you couldn't unsay them and what if they had a terrible reaction what if it went very wrong or what if it got out that was my biggest fear that it would get out and I'm sure it did <laughs> And how were your family? Well, my mum told me. Thank, thank God, thank God for mums. Um, she told me after I had kissed a girl and felt extremely uncomfortable about it and was crying, and I told her that I'd kissed this girl, or rather, this girl had kissed me, and she said, "Do you think you might be gay?" And I said yes and burst into more tears and that broke my heart. I remember being heartbroken. Mm. I was 13 years old. I remember being in the car with mum. She asked me if I was gay. I said yes. She was fine about it. She, you know, of course she was fine because she asked me and we talked about it. But I remember going home and going into the bathroom and looking in the mirror and because it was out to my mum, 
I was crying and I remember thinking my life was over. Mm. That's how bad it was. And I that's I look back at that um little boy now with such compassion and empathy that that he had to feel so bad about himself, that it had to be such a confusing and awful time. It's not that I wish it could have been different, it's just that I feel very different about myself these days. You know, mm. I like myself, I have a sense of self-esteem, and I didn't, and it was extraordinarily painful that whole time. So mum was great, um, siblings were great. My dad, oh, yeah, dad had a, a difficult reaction. It, he said some things to me which were born out of ignorance, Mm. and wanting me to be okay. Yeah. But I didn't realise that at the time. At the time, I thought he was just being awful. I look back now and realise that he didn't fully understand and he was worried about me. He almost sort of wanted me to wait to make that decision. I told him when I was 15, or mm. he found out rather. And um, I remember feeling very, very scared of having that conversation with him. And it didn't go well. I think we both got angry. Uh, my parents were divorced, so I, I didn't, I wasn't living with him. So this was this conversation happened over the phone, which is not what I'd wanted, but he'd found out, and mm. so we had to have the conversation. And you know, he was one of the biggest um, supporters of the LGBTQ community that I know. He's been to more gay weddings than I have. He's been <laughs> the best man at several gay weddings. He's probably got more gay friends than even I have, and. He he was wonderful about it, completely wonderful about it in the end. Mm. But initially, I think to him, I must have seemed way too young to, in his mind, be making a decision like that, which is just ignorance, because as we know, it's not a decision. It is the way it is. So he didn't have a great reaction, but we got past that. And oh, yeah, I mean, my family have been accepting and brilliant and great generally in the end including grandparents you know mm. my, my both sets of grandparents just being just brilliant about it do you know i learned the other day complete sidebar i learned the other day that my gran my mum's mum mm. campaigned in the 80s and 90s to have condoms be allowed in prisons in male prisons because wow. of the aids epidemic and I had no idea she'd done that. My, my gran was an actress for a time before she had six children. Mm. And so obviously she was kind of, she was born in London. She was in that community and she's very open-minded. But I had no idea. My mum found the letters that, she, that gran had written and taken copies of to MPs and, and all the campaigning that she'd done. I don't know what became of it. But anyway, sidebar, because that is just to say that my grandparents on both sides were absolutely brilliant, fully accepting this is this is sort of the theme of this that I have been very accepted and loved by other people, hmm. friends, family, my entire life, and I struggled to accept myself. Which you'd think, you know, what is what is that about? You'd think that would that would be a thing if you were rejected all the time or weren't shown acceptance. But I was, and yet I still. <sighs> It's it's not too strong to say I, I hated myself for quite a time, and I've no idea why. But I think there's there's that sort of contrast between being accepted by those around you, who you you presume will accept you anyway. But then in the wider world, you know, at that time, there weren't really any gay role models. No, there weren't. 
any any no. sort of gay characters in TV were sort of persecuted. The media was, mm. you know, headlines were always against the community. So as mm. someone growing up during that period, you were made to feel you were wrong. But I guess I didn't even see very negative impressions of, mm. of sexuality. I, I don't think I even necessarily saw that. It's just that I didn't see any positive ones. I didn't see, you're right, I didn't have any role models at all. Yeah, so it was uh, it, it was hard, but I did. I feel like I I still feel I got lucky with friends and family. And you speak there of ignorance in in some ways, which is through lack of education. And of course, at that mm. point, you wouldn't have been receiving much of an education on sexuality. <laughs> Absolutely none, <laughs> none at all. So how did you sort of educate yourself, as it were? I, I've, I've no idea. I've no idea. We didn't have the internet. Mm. I can't remember what I did. I found a porn stash one day, looked through that, went, oh, right, is that... But, of course, that was men and women. Mm. So I knew more about that than what guys did. I have no idea how I picked up what what one did. No idea at all. Um, I mean, I, I had my first, my first boyfriend mm. and that, you know, that blew my mind because I was able to like, finally, like, get off with someone, have great sex. Uh, I was in love. Um, it was a, it was a chaotic, tumultuous relationship. Mm. Um, but that was, that was where I was able to kind of um, explore and express myself. But I have no idea. I don't know how people find out without the internet. I don't know how we did it. I'm, I'm curious as well. Was there, do you think, at the back of your head, that, that slight fear, having not been able to have a boyfriend or anything, that mm. you sort of almost committed to this decision, in inverted commas, that you may have later gone, actually, no, maybe I should be the wife and kids? Yes. Yes, definitely. I went through periods of thinking, oh, perhaps I'm bisexual. Mm. I went through uh, quite a long period on and off of thinking I might be trans. This is why actually I, I struggle with the labels because what I what I quite like about the way um, <laughs> the younger generation are kind of taking this on these days is the fluidity mm. and that you don't have to label yourself. But you know, I, I've I've done a lot of soul searching and looking at myself and and you know i'm just i'm just so gay i'm just so <laughs> gay i'm so into guys <laughs> and um anyway what was the what was the yes yeah, so yeah no i remember the question um absolutely even with my first uh boyfriend who actually i think turned out to be straight but partly because of that partly because he'd always had girlfriends it actually allowed me to question my own sexuality because at that mm. point yeah i'd very much kind of come out to my friends as gay and stuff but then i was thinking like maybe i'm bi but i just i just i've always just loved women as people and felt comfortable with them mm. there just isn't that romantic sexual actually it's not true there is a, there, there is romantic attraction around women absolutely but there isn't that sexual attraction for me the way i realized i was like fully gay was i was like could i have a relationship like a love sex relationship with a woman no i couldn't couldn't do it mm. but i but i can with a man and that's that's how i knew but yeah it, there was definitely that exploration probably up until i was like 19 20 i was still questioning it all 
throughout that relationship with that first boyfriend. Yeah. I'm Tilly Steele. And I'm Helen Monks. And this is Bitchin'. I'm dyslexic. Yeah, why do you read the Wikipedia page? <laughs> it's good to practice. Yeah. A podcast where every week we talk about a different person. So how old was he when he first popped on the scene? That's a great If question. you say he was my age, I'm gonna <laughs> fucking die. And we veer wildly off track. Pop that Prosec. <laughs> Available on all your podcast apps. That's not right. Can you not say er in the advert? (laughs) Available on all your podcast platforms. Just search Bitchin' or Great Big Owl. We'll see you there. That was all right. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Turns out there were quite a few gay people at my school who hmm. knew. Uh, but I had met someone bisexual and utterly fallen in love with him, and that was and that was not reciprocated, and that was a total disaster. I had my suspicions about a couple of others at school, but they were not out possibly hmm. even to themselves. So um that was never, never, never discussed. Never discussed, never talked about. Um and as I say, this this guy who was my first boyfriend wasn't gay. And he was all he always said he wasn't gay. And he'd only ever had girlfriends before me, I think. So um even in that respect, you know, God, that typical trope of I mean, it's a cliche, isn't it? You know, gay men falling for straight men. But I did. And um we did have a relationship for three years. Um and I think I was the only guy that he he ever did that with before or since. Mm. Um so I didn't meet any other gay people i didn't know any other gay people that i can think of there was maybe there was a there was a cousin maybe one of my mum's cousins i think who was gay but again i think i met him in my 20s i just did not know any gay people any queer people at all so how did you find dating during this period because it would have been before apps and everything like I, that i didn't <clears throat> there was no one to date you know i was 14 15 16 coming out to my friends Everyone was coupled up or in and out of, you know, these relationships. And there was no one, absolutely no one. And I used to feel desperately, desperately lonely around that. I did, however, have my first kiss at 15. And it's like, I can only describe it as um, Dorothy stepping into Oz moment. (laughs) Life, honestly, life became Technicolor. Mm. I couldn't believe it. It confirmed at this point everything had been theory in my head but it confirmed everything to me this kiss and it was with um one of my friends from from that group of friends that I talked about and he's straight completely straight but um we were staying overnight at friends one night and um he and I were sleeping in this room I was on the floor he was on the sofa and and what was so lovely was I was able to talk to these friends whether they were 
the straight boys or or the girls mm. um, in in the group. I could talk to any of them. That's what was so brilliant about it. I did have very good. I had very good male role models in in that group of friends who were my age, who were guys who were very comfortable with themselves and their sexuality and therefore were just very comfortable with me. Because my one of my fears, sorry, this is going off on a tangent, but one of my fears was always that people would think I was somehow a, a predator, you know, mm. that, thing of, that thing of thinking that somehow I'm going to come on to them just because I'm gay. And of course it's stupid because I don't fancy every guy I see. Like, I really don't. <laughs> so it's like, don't flatter yourselves. But that was always one of my fears that because I felt sort of dirty and ashamed about it, that, that they would also think I was dirty and shameful. And this group of guys were just very loving and very comfortable with me. Mm. And um, so anyway, we were in this room, we were talking about stuff and I'd said that I'd never kissed a guy and I really wanted to. And he said, I'll kiss you. And he leant down from the sofa and sort of cupped my chin and lifted my head, face and kissed me. And I swear to God, there were fireworks. <laughs> it just, like, it just it blew my tiny 15-year-old mind. Uh, and it's a very short kiss, and we never spoke about it again. We never did it again. He was so gentle and kind, and it wasn't, wasn't a big deal, and that was it. Went to sleep. But, but you know, that kiss was was a very kind gesture in a way because I don't think he ever realized how much he saved me in a way mm. because that that kept me going you know it confirmed everything that I thought about myself and it felt good because a lot of my thinking and feeling around sexuality had all been bad because I felt so bad about myself and bad about that part of myself and this felt right like mm. it felt just so it was like everything slotted into place for me and it kept me going and so yeah there was no one to date but it was sort of okay and then this in in sixth form this this new guy came to school and um i don't even remember how we ended up i have no memory of how we ended up getting together but we did and um yeah i've never really dated that much or been any good at it because i didn't have the experience of doing that so Drifting away from Whitby, mm. when did you sort of gravitate towards London? And when you were in a bigger city, did you find yourself seeking out the sort of gay community more actively, or were you quite tentative about dipping your toes in the the water? I was, I was, God, I was so tentative. I think because I hadn't grown up with any gay friends, any gay role models, mm. any gay reference at all, I was terrified of what I perceived as the gay scene, and I moved to London when I was 18 to go to drama school. And I thought, oh, when I get to drama school, everybody is going to be gay. Mm. Or not everybody, but there's a strong chance that there's going to be some gay guys there because, you know, we're going into theatre and all that. And actually, there was no one in my year. Well, no one who was out at that point. And I was really gutted because I had just come from Whitby where, as far as I was concerned, there was no one else. I was the only gay in the village. Mm. And, I, and I got to drama school thinking, I'm going to find my tribe. And I didn't. Not that the people in my year weren't my tribe, because I loved them, and I, I loved that group of people, still do. But there were no openly out gay people in my year at all. And drama school was so consuming that um, there, there simply wouldn't have been time 
to get out there on the gay scene. Mm. Um, but not only that, I was terrified. I also, alongside of all this, unfortunately suffered panic attacks and had huge social anxiety. I could not eat meals with people. I couldn't eat in in restaurants. I would have a panic attack. Um, and I certainly couldn't go out to a gay pub on my own or even really with people. I just couldn't do it. So I never found my, you know, my, my group of gay friends on the gay scene either. Alongside all this, I have always had, but always been really lucky to have lovely, lovely friends. So it's not like I was sort of um, very isolated or alone, but it's just that it always scared me, the idea of um, going out on the gay scene. And, and, um, and I, I, I did tentatively, maybe in my third year, I think, second or third year, I, I went to heaven a couple of times with, um, with a cousin of mine and maybe a couple of friends. And, but I, I think I was very lost, really, until my late 20s. And I, I was in a relationship um, for most of my 20s, but I was lost as a, as a person. And it's taken me a long time to be comfortable with who I am, mm. not only internally in terms of my own sexuality, but also just my place in the world. Like being comfortable and okay with the fact that I didn't go out on the gay scene and that I still don't really, and that that's okay. I used to feel this huge pressure to do it and huge shame that I couldn't. I'm interested what you say about um, being at drama school and, and there not being that many out actors around you. Mm. But, but moving slightly further ahead still, was it 2004 you appeared in the History Boys? Mm-hmm. So playing a gay character in that. Was that quite a big step for you, sort of publicly, even though obviously you're playing a character? Did you feel you were more openly sort of presenting yourself by playing a gay character on stage? No, that, that actually came later. It, it's, um, it's taken me a long time to just not give a shit mm. about that kind of thing. Um, it, it, it all happened by degrees, but after History Boys and the sort of the the success that came with that, I guess, and maybe being just a bit more known at that point, um, I was advised to do the sort of Jodie Foster style press. That was how it was described to me when it came to being out in the industry. Right. I.e., you just don't talk about it. You don't say yes. You don't say no. You just you're just neutral. You deny nothing, you confirm nothing. But what roles like the History Boys, Posner and the History Boys did for me, and then roles that I've played since, is it's sort of um, by degrees, I guess, it helped me come out mm. and not care. And more than that, talk publicly about it. Because I think there are actors who are, you know, won't deny the sexuality, aren't, you know, they're, they're, not it's not like they're in the closet but they won't necessarily talk about it which is totally fine like each to their own and there are also some who are still you know would deny their sexuality and for them too no judgment there you know i've got to do what we've got to do mm. unfortunately in this world but again like being a kid i could never really deny who i was and um so i think those roles helped me come out publicly in a way but it was it was slow you know the thing the thing that's annoying about that I've always found annoying about being gay is that thing of feeling like you got to come out every day. 
you've got to come out every time you meet someone new. You've got to come yeah. out every time you do a, a new job and meet a new set of people. And that has stopped for me. And it is playing roles, gay roles, that has helped that. Because I am more than happy for people to assume that I am gay, so I don't have to say it. Mm. And not only that, if people don't assume I'm gay, I still, I now no longer feel uh, that I have to say it. And mm. I don't know when that changed. It was certainly probably when I was in my very early 30s, maybe late 20s, but probably actually more likely early 30s. I just realised that I wasn't explaining to anyone when I met them, started a new play or a new TV job. I wasn't explaining to anyone that I was gay. And before that, I always felt like I had to go, oh, oh no, actually, well, actually, I'm gay. Or somehow drop in like, oh, my, my boyfriend. Uh, yes. And now I just, I haven't thought about that for years which is both a societal movement forward, but also a massive movement forward in myself that I've stopped even thinking about it. Like my sexuality, which took up 90% of my brain for so many mm. years, now probably takes up 10%, 5%. I just don't even think about it. And that is joyous because it's just part of who I am. It's not who I am. It's part of the picture of who I am. It's part of me. And um, so that's, for me, that's real progress. And I love that I don't even think about coming out these days what a relief to not have to do that what a luxury mm. because i think i know that there are industries and countries and areas and different groups of people where either you're still in the closet or everyone knows but you don't talk about it or every time you meet someone you feel you have to explain it i know that still goes on but I'm really fortunate that that doesn't go on for me anymore. No, and what's quite nice looking, you know, through your CV, um, as I frequently do, uh, <laughs> stalker is, uh, you know, you did the History Boys, which is a fairly prominent gay role, and as a gay actor, you haven't really been typecast. It's not like every role you've played, people have gone, oh, well, you're the gay character in this. Well, gosh, it's interesting, Scott. You might be the only person who's ever said that to me because any other interview I've done, people talk about me being typecast and I and and I, almost like as a sort of knee-jerk defensive response, which is ridiculous of me because I don't, don't there's nothing wrong with playing all these gay characters. In fact, bring it on, please. Mm. But almost as a knee-jerk reaction over the years, I've gone, well, actually, I think if you look through my CV, you'll find I've played more straight characters than gay. Mm. But, because <laughs> I have. But I don't know why I feel the need to explain that. And I think it is because... Actually, it's probably because I used to not want to be typecast, just because I used to want to be considered for anything and everything. And whilst that's still the case, I'm also these days extremely happy to be typecast. Like, typecast away if you want. I don't really care as long as the writing's good. I'm mm. really happy to play it, um, straight or gay, whatever, wherever it is on that spectrum. Um, but, yeah, I, I've i been very happy um, with the roles that I've played, with the sort of, with the breadth of roles that I've, had access to really happy with that and equally if people want to typecast me and i you know corner the market and playing gay roles that's great as well but yeah it's it is i it's nice to kind of look back at the cv and go oh look at the range of people that i've been mm. allowed to play um it would it would obviously it would get boring if i was just playing the same thing all the time but even that is um a silly thing to say because every gay character is an individual human being that is completely different and if the only thing that they've got in common is gay well that's actually not much because that character might be evil and that character might be really nice and that character might be a psychopath and blah 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 so sexuality is um not the thing 
that I play. No. It's the human being. I suppose more recently, you've done a, a beautiful short film called The Act. Yes. How did that come about? <gasps> and how was it you, tackling you your first... Do you hesitate to ask? Ge- yeah. Yes, about how, my sex scene. How was, mm. it, how was it playing your first <laughs> gay sex scene? Um, well, so that project came about because um, Tom Hescott, who was uh, the assistant director on The History Boys, um, who is he's great theatre director and has now moved into TV and film, and... Um, Matthew Baldwin, who who wrote the one-act play that the act was based on, and then wrote the TV script with Pete Lawson. Um, uh, they Basically, Tom came to me and they kind of said, we'd love you to do this. And you, Matthew said, you've always been in my mind for this part. And so that's really lovely. And um, I read the script. I'd seen the act anyway. I'd seen Matthew do the one-act show and I absolutely mm. loved it. He was phenomenal and it was so moving. I saw it at Trafalgar Studios. And so when they sent me the script and I read it, it was already a yes before I'd read the script. But then I read the script and I was just, I just thought it was absolutely beautiful. And honestly, it was a four day shoot and it's up there with being one of the happiest jobs I've ever done. One of the most creatively fulfilling. It's almost like I got to take 40 years of my life and experience and all the ups and downs, especially around sexuality, and just sort of put them in that short film. Mm. And of course, that short film is a lot of time compressed. It's years, a lot of time compressed into, you know, 20 minutes. And I got to live that for four days, and I absolutely loved it. And the sex scene was really scary. In in my mind, it was really scary. Um, thank God for Simon Lennon and... Tom, the director, Simon Lennon was so great to work with. He's another guy. My God, if I had, and Simon, if you're listening to this, I, I'm, I'm very glad you can hear this. Um, because he is a guy who is very, very comfortable in his own skin and his own sexuality. And he makes you, whoever you are, feel comfortable. And he was great to work with very professional, very kind, very considerate. And we had an intimacy coordinator who was also absolutely brilliant. So that by the time we came to shoot that scene, we had talked about it, we had rehearsed it, we had done everything you can but shoot it. And so when it came to doing it, it was so easy. It was so comfortable. It didn't feel weird it felt like, yeah, I mean, it's weird that you've got your bum out and you've got a weird little pouch covering your bits and so's the other guy. And it's weird that you don't know each other well and suddenly he's lying on top of you and <laughs> yeah. you're making sex noises, which you go, is, does, is this what I do during... I can't remember what I do during <laughs> sex suddenly. Is that... Do I make that noise? Do I pull this face? Is this going to look remotely real? Because it's the least sexy thing ever mm. doing a sex scene. I've I've done a couple... And um, they are not sexy. But this one was very, very, very comfortable. And it was a relief. And it was liberating, actually. Really liberating. I've always dreaded, um, you know, getting naked um, and having to do that kind of thing on set and people watching. Oh, but the uh, our DOP as well was so brilliant. Mm. As was, as was um, the boom operator. You know, the crew that we worked with was so professional. And and so kind and considerate and so nothing was awkward. 
And it's a beautiful film. It, not just oh, in terms yeah. of the, the script, I but so. visually. It is stunning. It's you really know, rich. And you've got it, a, a, yeah. a big sort of queer ensemble as well. Yeah. In, in yeah, terms of the supporting cast. We have. And, and it feels authentic. And you're right, it is beautifully shot and lit. It feels it feels like um a film. <laughs> just mm. a just a short one. Hence a, a short, short film. film. <laughs> but yeah, it like the I mean the but we had a big budget on it. For a short film, we had a big budget. Mm. And it's all there on the screen. I, I love it. It's one of the jobs that I'm proudest of. And it is partly because it just chimed with who I am. And it's it's one of those rare jobs. Well, maybe it's rare for me. Uh, but one of those rare acting experiences where I just didn't have to try. I didn't have to do anything. I just thought and felt and said the lines. It just felt easy. And how does it feel when you dip back in time and play those sort of gay characters at a point when they didn't have the rights that we get to enjoy now? You also play a character called Norton Folgate in a little radio I series, do. which is sort of similar, but uh, not quite as uh, heavyweight, shall we say, as mm. the act. <laughs> it's very bittersweet playing those roles because I get to play them from the perspective where we are now and things are not perfect now. Mm. There is not really still fully the same equality. Yes, it's a million times better than it used to be, but we're still not there. And even with laws, we're, we're still not there. One of the things I, I love about the act is the speech that um, the Member of Parliament gives, where he basically says, do we uh, give people rights now, or do we wait for society to say that we should give them rights? Because if we wait, it's never going to happen. We actually have to be the ones to go, no, do you know what? Societally, this law doesn't protect people. We need to change the law. We need to protect people. And then society, you're just going to have to get on board with that and catch up. That's when government led by example, perhaps. <laughs> and I don't know if they do now. Yes. Um, <laughs> in the same way. But yeah, it's very bittersweet because I play it from, from where we are now, but dipping back into times when when the queer community was so oppressed. It's painful. It's quite, uh, not to be indulgent, you know, but it's quite emotionally painful. And I suppose what I'm tapping into is my own pain because, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we were far more oppressed than we are now. Mm. So it, it brings that up. And it is, um, even even playing Norton Folgate, which I, God, I love playing Norton because, that you know, there's a guy who just, is himself regardless and he's doing that at a time when he would be thrown in prison for being himself so even even with all the kind of gorgeous kind of comedy that i get out of norton what i also love about playing norton is there is always a slightly sad um knowing undercurrent to mm. him because all these characters know that they don't have a choice about who they are but they could be imprisoned or killed for it and the fact is that still happens today in certain other countries and probably in this country. I still think that the laws in this country are um, often more advanced than the society which yep. they govern. And in terms of yourself, just to wrap up, because I'm aware I've kept you talking for ages and it's been Well, lovely, you know me, Scott. I, I love a good chat. But yeah, looking back from you know those early days when you were nine and realising... Yeah, yeah, you might like the chaps. <laughs> you might like the chaps. 
please keep that in. I might like mum. I think I might like the chaps. Okay, well, I, I try to keep these so slick and professional, but uh, no, it's not going to happen with don't you, is it? Love it. No. Um, but yeah, okay, looking back over your life, how mm. long do you think it's sort of taken you to become comfortable with your identity? Or is it still a work in progress? Or do you think you, you relaxed a long time ago? It's a work in progress for me. And I think that's just because of who I am as a person. I don't think that's um, that's sexuality related. It goes back to what I said earlier. I think I felt shame about myself as a human being for some reason before I even knew I was gay, before I knew I was other or different. And that is that is a wound of some sort, and I don't know why. And that I've spent my life healing that. And I would say in the past five years um i have grown so much more content happy comfortable and grounded in myself and that is only the last five years and that's not to say that the previous 35 years were all awful they weren't it was happening by degrees that i was becoming happier because i was doing the work on myself mm. you know i've had a lot of therapy i've i've done a lot of processes to feel okay in my life but I've noticed and it might just be to do with literally getting older and just literally more time on this earth um but I have noticed that I'm happier in my skin in the last five years and I'm I'm happier in work I'm happier in jobs and I'm I'm more sort of settled in my acting I think and I'm I'm far more settled in my life my 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 sexuality and my happiness with it has has grown in tandem with you know my happiness with myself because I can't separate them it's all part mm. of me but it wasn't just the sexuality that was the issue for me it was this sense of shame and I'm I still sometimes whether in a social situation or a work situation I can have like an attack just an attack of shame where I get very less than I suddenly feel I'm not enough and I realised early on in therapy, one of my core beliefs used to be that not only was I not good enough, but, but even less than that, I just wasn't enough, let alone good enough. I just wasn't enough. And I realised about five years ago, you know, with this amazing therapist, we came back to, after all these years, she said, what's, what's your core belief about yourself now? And I just went, I'm enough. And I didn't even have to think about it. I was just like, mm. I'm enough you know and that's great um i'm i'm right sized i'm not you know i'm not too big for my boots but nor do i think i'm a piece of shit i'm i'm just sort of at the right level i think and and it's ongoing you know maintain i don't think one necessarily ever reaches a level of i am happy and that's how it's going to be for the rest of my life but i have enough in my life now to maintain that equilibrium i think and i'm in a much better place and i'm uh, I, I'm like, honestly, God, I feel like I'm giving a speech at awards, an awards ceremony, <laughs> but I am hugely grateful for my tribe. Mm. And that includes my tribes over the years who have, um, who have loved me and I've loved them. And without them, uh, God knows, God knows. And the supports that I have in my life these days, the pillars, you know, my therapist, my friends, my family. Yeah, I, I don't know where I'd be without them. So um, uh, I think it's been a really long journey and it's going to continue to be. It's lifelong, you know, feeling OK in one's skin. But I'm happy to say that my sexuality, like I said earlier, doesn't take up my time anymore. 
mm. in a lovely way. And more than that, I feel able to um, be there for other people who might be struggling, it, either in just, you know, uh, with without knowing it either as a, an older role model, because I know that I get, you know, I get messages from people who've watched History Boys or or it, even Dirk Gently. There was a queerness about Dirk Gently and mm. people who go, you know, I feel better having seen this representation. I feel better having watched your work. And that's, that's lovely. And that's a sort of passive way of being a support, I suppose. And I also do it in a more active way. You know, I, I try and mentor and um, help when I'm asked to and where I can. What a lovely, lovely final answer. <laughs> it's been so lovely chatting with you. I, oh I God, can't have believe... we covered everything, Scott? Have we covered everything? We've barely scratched the so. surface. But, okay, you good. Know, I, I, it feels <laughs> mad we've known each other so long and never chatted about this stuff. So uh... No, isn't it weird? But we don't, do we? Like, people generally don't get this stuff out. That's no. why this podcast so great, because actually, well, I guess we just don't think to speak of this stuff. And yet it's instrumental in 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 who we are as people Mm. it's part of our fabric yeah strange to think we never really talk about our queer identities with the people we have most in common with but it's been lovely nattering with sam and talking through his experiences today thanks also to faye thomas who took sam's brilliant headshot and to everyone who's been listening to the series so far please leave us a review and let us know what you're enjoying or follow us on twitter and instagram at queer to eternity And don't forget to join us next time for our final episode of the series. Pete Ellison, this is Dave Cribb. Hello, and we do a podcast called Friends with Friends, as you might have guessed from the music that's playing underneath, uh, which is a sort of lo-fi rendition of the Friends theme tune for rights reasons. We get a different guest on every week on our podcast to talk about their favourite episode of Friends. And we look through it in excruciating detail. We pick through levels of plot like no one has ever done before. So if you like Friends or just listening to people talking, which are both valid activities, do look us up on the old podcast apps and that. Friends with friends, and we're on Twitter at friends WF. Mm-hmm.